0: Well, good morning, church. It is so great to have all of y'all with us this morning, especially those of you that are with us online as well. And uh, we are in our second week of this four-week series that uh, we're looking at the Old Testament prophet Elijah—not to be confused with Elijah. And uh, and before we jump into this morning's message, one of our core values here is that we love to celebrate stories. And so we're always celebrating God's big story, and then we're celebrating the little stories that God's writing in our lives. And so I love to celebrate people, and I wanted to celebrate a few people this morning real quick. And so uh, Karen and Wendell Hall are celebrating 30 years of marriage today. Is it today? Okay, So, but we want to say congratulations to you all. And then uh, at the earlier service, Spring Deeds was here, and I don't know if you ever had a chance to meet Spring Deeds or if you know her. But um, she has a ministry called God's Bride's Ministry, and she has been working really hard at getting school supplies together for kids. And then uh, she uh, had a post yesterday on her Facebook page talking about uh, spending some time at Karen's house and how 18 ladies gave their lives to the Lord. And I just love what Spring Deeds is doing in our community. So I know she's not here, but let's give Spring Deeds just a hand and celebrate her and the way that God is working through her. And uh, so I love stories, and I love that God is writing some amazing stories in the lives of many people around here at Warehouse. And, uh, and maybe he has a story that he wants to write in you. I know he does. And so, uh, so be, uh, don't be afraid to share that story. Uh, if you missed last week, last week we talked about burning plows. So you may have seen this plow up here on the stage. Uh, When you came in, you're like, What in the world? Why is there a plow on the stage? Well, last week we talked about uh, burning plows or leaving behind anything that would keep us from following God and moving forward or moving ahead. And so if you missed it, let me just encourage you to go back and watch it online. And today, well, today we're going to talk about uh, digging some ditches. So I got my shovel here, and we're going to talk about digging ditches today. And uh, before we dive in, though, uh, I would wonder, how many of you all have ever played this game? It's called the If Only game. And let me explain it to you. You think, if only I had such and such, life would be better. Uh, So maybe it'd be like, if only I had a better job or if only i had more money or if only i had more hair or only if i had uh, if god would answer my prayer anyone ever played the if only game anyone ever played it all right a few more in this service that's good that's good yeah we've all played it really i mean let's be real and honest we've all played the if only game and i don't know what your if only would be but but throughout life we all recognize that we all have needs don't we we all have needs and we tend to think if only i had whatever it is life would be so much better, if only. And what I want to do today is I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to listen to our message this morning through the lens of your greatest need. I want you to listen to this morning's message through the lens of your greatest need, and it's my prayer that God would minister to you in a very special way this morning as we talk about uh, digging some ditches. So let me, let me set the context uh, for our story as we look back at Elijah's life, and so let me set the context for our time together. This morning, we are going to look at three kings, three kings who joined forces to do battle against the Moabites, and, uh, and, and it was three against one. doesn't seem quite fair, does it? Three kingdoms against one, and the kings were thinking, this is going to be easy, like, they're thinking this is just going to be a quick Saturday battle. We'll get it done. Get it behind us and move on. I mean, literally, it's three against one. It's an easy win for us. And, but as you know, though, as you know, often in life, things don't go as planned, do they? Things don't go off this plan. Who knows what I'm talking about there? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah, things don't always go the way we thought they were. And you, you think you've got it all figured out, right? Like you think you've got the plan. You've got A, B, and C. Everything's going to go the way you want it to go. And then whoops, something happens and things don't turn out quite the way that you thought they would. And that's what happens in our story today. That's what happens to these three kings because instead of the easy win against the Moabites, instead of an easy win, they find their troops marching in the desert for seven days and they realize that they are totally and completely out of water that they're run, they've run out of water they're in the desert it's hot and there's no water to be found and they are about to die of thirst along with their animals and they have a very significant need They have a huge need. Water. We need water. We can go without food, but we need water. And so the story, this story that we're going to look at in Elijah's life today today, is going to teach us a really important principle. And I would encourage you to write it down. It's on the screen. And it's this, that your greatest need, your greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. Your greatest need becomes a blessing when it de- drives you to depend on God. And, and this will be good news for some of you this morning. Like some of you need to hear this this morning. And, and, uh, and so let's look at our passage and let's let it shine some light on this very powerful truth. And so if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, we're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 3. Verses 9 through 12 and a few after that as well. And, and uh, I'm going to read it out, the New King James Version. And, uh, and so I just encourage you to listen along. And here's what it says. Starting in verse 9, it says, So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched. They marched on that roundabout route seven days. And there was no water for the army, not for the animals that followed them. Someone say they're in trouble they, they are in trouble and so this didn't do this the first service is really weird there we go and so uh, and so in verse 10 and 11 it goes on it says and the king of Israel said Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hands of Moab but Jehoshaphat said is there no prophet is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him so one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said well Elijah the son of Shaphat he's here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Now if you missed last week you would know that Elijah mentored Elijah. He was his teacher, his mentor. And you know um uh, and if you know anything about Elijah, you know that when the nation was in a great drought and they're experiencing a great drought that he called on God. You remember the story, he called on God and God Sent rain from a cloud the size of your hand. Now, if you're a meteorologist, you know that not a whole lot of rain is going to come out of a cloud the size of a hand. And, and if you were a weatherman in those days, you're like, we're in the drought, there's no chance. There's only one little teeny tiny cloud in the sky, and there's no chance of rain. But God used Elijah to call down the rain, and out of that little cloud the size of a hand came the biggest storm that they had experienced. And so now the kings are thinking, wow, well, if Elijah did that and we've got his mentee, we've got Elijah in the crowd, maybe he can help us. And so we read on in verse 12 and it says, and Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So King Jehoshaphat is saying, hey, I've seen what Elijah can do and God is with him. And he goes on and says, so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to Elijah. Now, let me just make sure that we all are on the same page of what's going on here. The three kings are going to battle, right? They're going to go to battle. It's three against one. It's going to be an easy win against the Moabites. And they're, and, and, but instead of winning, they find themselves in big trouble because they're out of water and, and their livestock are out of water too. And now what you may not know, though, about these three kings, and it's a rather important element is that these three kings were not serving God. They were far from God. They were not listening to God. They were being disobedient, and they weren't even seeking God. Like, they weren't going to church on Sunday. They weren't going their quiet times. None of that was happening. And when they're in trouble, they did exactly what a lot of us do. They go, hey, God, I know I haven't been around in a while. I know I haven't been reading. I know I haven't been doing my quiet time. I know I haven't been praying. I know I haven't been church in a while, but can you help me out? Like We're in trouble here. Do you think you can help us? And so that's where the kings are at. And and so they say, is there anyone? Is there anyone in the crowd that's really tight with God? Is there anybody who can do a little rain dance for us? Is there anyone who might be close to God and can pull some strings? And they said, oh yeah, there's Elijah. Elijah's with us, the prophet Elijah. Maybe he can help us out. And I'm not sure you've heard, but the miracles that Elijah did, but but man, he was doing some amazing miracles his rookie year as a prophet. Like this is his first year as a prophet out on his own, and he's already, uh, he's already parted the River Jordan. He's already done that. He's like, Moses did it. I can do it too. And he parted the Mo- River Jordan, uh, which was very impressive. He took uh, and spoke to a polluted spring of water that if you drank from this water, you would surely die. And he spoke to this, and he healed the water, and so now the water was clean, and you could drink from it. And then, they all knew this story, because this one was like traveling all across the country, that there were these young men that were making fun of Elijah, because, well, he was bald, he didn't have a whole lot of hair, and, and they were calling him baldy. And they didn't just say baldy, they were like, baldy, 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 baldy. But like they were being like little kids. And, and they call him out, and, and it got uh, under Elijah's skin so much that he summoned two bears out of the woods who came and devoured them. And so that's in the Bible, y'all. Like you should read your Bibles because there's some crazy, you can't make that story up. And, uh, and so so I just want to encourage you, read your Bibles because you're missing great stuff like this. And, and And also here's the lesson from it. You should never make fun of a guy that has a little bit of hair. Like you just never know what's going to happen to a guy that's bald. And so the king's or like, Elijah can help us out. Sure enough, he can. I mean, listen to what he's been already doing in his rookie year, and, and how do you think Elijah responds? Like, you think that Elijah would be like, yeah, I can't wait to help you out. Let me go to the Lord. Let me see what he says. But he's got this attitude. Like, Elijah has a bit of attitude when he's asked to help. He's like, okay, I get it. I get it, kings. You want to choose to ignore God. You skip church. You're not doing your quiet times. You're not praying You're not doing the things that you're called to do. And then when you get in trouble, you come to me. And you want me to go to the Lord on your behalf to get some help. You want in on some God action now because you're in trouble. And he gets an attitude with them. And you might be wondering, where in the world does Elijah get off with this? Like, where does this attitude come from? Well, remember who his mentor was? His mentor was Elijah. And Elijah was the king of attitude. Like, Elijah treated everyone that way. And you might remember one of the stories uh, in Elijah's ministry or his prophet uh, world. Uh, he, he was uh, talking to 450 false prophets. Not one, but 450 of them. They were all worshiping this God called Baal. And, uh, and he's talking to them, and, and he's so tired of them. And so he's like, hey, boys. He's like, come on, 450 of you. Gather around, gather around. Come on in, come on in. He goes, let's have a little contest. Like you you up for a contest and they're like, yeah, let's have a contest. You're like, okay, here's the contest. I'm going to kill a cow. You're going to kill a cow. We're going to put the cow up on an altar. And then you're going to start calling out to your God for fire to come down. And I'm going to start calling out to my God for fire to come down. And here's the deal. If your God brings the fire, then we'll worship your God. But if my God brings the fire, then you'll worship my God. He's like, Are y'all in? Are you game? And they're like, Yeah, let's do it. We're in. Let's go. And so they all go and they kill the, their cow and they build the altar and they put the cow up on the altar and they begin to worship and they begin to call on their God. And so the, the first ones up are the 450 uh, false prophets and they're all gathered around doing a freaky dance around the altar and they're clapping and they're gyrating and they're chanting and they're calling on the God to, their God to be able to send the fire down and nothing's happening. And I can just picture it. Elijah's like sitting down in his lawn chair uh, right around them and he's just laughing. Like he's having a good time watching this go on and he starts heckling the crowd. He like he starts heckling the 450 false prophets and egging them on. And he's like, come on, guys, maybe you're maybe your God's deaf. Maybe you need to talk a little louder. Maybe you need to bring it up a level. Maybe you need to shout. And so he gets the crowd worked into a frenzy and they're like shouting really loud and they're carrying on and they're hooting and hollering. Nothing happens. So then the next thing we see him say, he says, well, maybe, maybe your God is on vacation. Like maybe he's just out to lunch. Maybe he doesn't care. And they just get even more riled up and they start yelling even louder. And they're going and going and going crazy and working into even more of a frenzy. And then, again, you should read your Bibles because here's what it says. Elijah says, well, maybe your God's in the bathroom and he can't hear you. Like, who says that? But Elijah did. He's like, maybe your God's in the bathroom. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's taking care of business and he can't hear you. And uh, and it just gets them all worked up. And nothing happens. And then what does Elijah do? He calls, he soaks the altar with water. And he's like, let me just show you how great my God is. And he soaks the, he douses it with water and and he, and he sits there and he calls on his God. He calls on God Almighty and God brings down the fire. And so Elijah does what Elijah did. He gets an attitude because that's all he knows. And so verse 13 says this, it says, then Elijah said to the king of Israel, what do I have to do with this? What do I have to do with you? He says, go to the prophets of your father and your prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, no, for the Lord God has called these three kings to go together to deliver them into the hands of Moab. The king is like desperate. He's like, Elijah, you've got to help us. Like, I know that God didn't call us to deliver us into the hand of, the, of Moab. And you can just sense his attitude because immediately Elijah's like, hey, don't put me in the middle of your spat with God. Like, I'm sorry that you aren't getting along with God, and, and, but don't put me in the middle. And then he calls on his mama. He's like, why don't you just call on your mama, right? Like, call on your mama's prophet. And anytime anyone calls on your mama, like, he's throwing shade at them left and right and telling them to pray to their mama's prophet. And, and the kings are, like, not having it. They're like, Elijah, you got to help us out. And they're like, it, it was the Lord who called us together. And I know he didn't call us together to deliver us into the hands of Moab. And so Elijah, he says these words. He says, surely, as surely as the Lord Almighty whom I serve, if I didn't have respect for Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not pay any attention to you. Elijah's like, listen, if I didn't know that, that Jehoshaphat was a stand-up guy, if I didn't think that I, if I didn't have utmost respect for him, I would leave you all hanging. He goes, but but I'll help you out. And he says, here's the deal. I want you to bring me a mu- musician, but not any musician. I want you to bring me a really good musician, play me some music, and then I'm going to prophesy. And so they do that. And you might think that's a little demanding, like, where is Elijah? Get off asking for a musician. But the reality is that this was not an uncommon practice for prophets to do. Like, there's something about when you worship God through music that he inhabits the praises of, of his people, amen? Like he inhabits the praises of his people. That's why we worship, because we want to connect with God. We want you to connect with God. And so after the music plays, uh, you, and Elijah is, begins to prophesy, you would think that he would bring them a word of encouragement, right? Like they are in trouble. There's no water. People are starting to die because of thirst, and, and here you would think that Elijah would bring them something positive. But no, he doesn't do that. Instead, Elijah gives them a ridiculous command. Look at verses 15 and 16 with me. It says, now bring me a musician. Then it happened, and when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him, and Elijah said this, thus says the Lord, are you ready? He says, make full, make this valley full of ditches. Basically, what Elijah tells them to do is start Digging ditches. And, and I, I thought, and, and, and I'm sure the king's are like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, whoa, 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 time out. We thought that you would ask God and God would make it rain. And you're telling us that we got to send our troops out into the fields to start digging ditches? They're dying of thirst. Like we've been marching for seven days straight. It's a drought. It's hot, y'all. Like it was hotter than it was yesterday. It's hot. And you want us to go and start digging ditches? And Elijah's like, yep, I want you to go and start digging me some ditches. And I can hear the three kings. I mean, I can just hear their voices. There's like, there's no, like, where's the water going to come from? Are we going to dig down so far that the water bubbles up? Because there's no, they're not a cloud in the sky. There's no way that rain's coming. We're in a severe drought. And I want you to hear this because I think this is so important. Your greatest need, let me just say it again, your greatest need often becomes your greatest blessing when it drives you to depend on God. I want you to dig some ditches. Verse 17 says, For thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water, so that you and your cattle and your animals may drink. And then verse 18, it gets a little cocky again. And here's what Elijah says. He looks at the three kings and he says, listen, y'all. He says in verse 18, this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. This is easy for God. He's saying, really? Like, that's all you need is water? This is a simple task for God. And he says, he will also, check this out. He goes, not only will God provide you water, but he will deliver the Moabites into your hand. Like, you're, I know, you're thirsty. I know that you're, some of your men are dying of thirst, literally. But listen, God's gonna provide the water and he's gonna also deliver, you into, uh, deliver the Moabites into your hand and all you have to do is dig some ditches. In other words, Elijah's saying, listen, y'all have no idea how powerful, you have no idea how strong, you have no idea how mighty our God is. At the snap of a finger, our God can do this. This is easy for God. But first, God wants you to dig some ditches. And that's the context for our story. And what I want to do with the rest of our time, as you know the story and this, this, this uh, encounter that Elijah has having with the three kings, is I want us to spend the rest of our time together and apply this directly to our lives because I believe this has something for us today. What does this story mean for us today? And, and if there was a title for this, I might call it Faith That Works. Why don't you just say that with me? Faith That Works. Every, and so I'm talking about a faith that this story reminds us that a faith that moves the heart of God and it invokes a response From God, a faith that is so uh, a faith that is so big, a faith that is so ridiculous that it moves the heart of God. It causes God to lean in and to listen to us and to respond. I'm not just talking about a faith that is effective, but I'm talking about a faith that is active. I'm talking about a faith that does something. I'm talking about a faith that so believes that God is going to act to uh, um, act that we do something to take a step forward and a step towards God believing that he is gonna take a step towards us. I'm talking about a ridiculous kind of faith, a ridiculous kind of faith. Lyric, you wanna come up here? All right, we're talking about a ridiculous kind of faith. And so let me share with you this morning two two principles of of a faith that works. Can you say two? Say it, two. Okay, (laughs) two principles. Uh, about a faith that works. And the first one is this, that only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. That only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you and I to dig a ditch. That sometimes he wants us to grab our shovels and to dig a ditch. And here's what James, the half-brother of Jesus, said in, in James chapter 2, verse 26. He says, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. That so the body without the spirit is dead, so is faith without works. Only God can bring the water. But sometimes, sometimes he wants to see your faith. Sometimes God wants us to meet him halfway. Sometimes God wants us to dig a ditch. I mean, think about it. Did you really think that God needed them to dig ditches to hold the water? No, he could have just spoke the word into being and the ditches with water would have appeared. It's almost as if God was saying, you show me your faith and I'll show you my faithfulness. You show me your faith and I'll show you my faithfulness. Listen, God loves to see your faith in action. God loves to see you to take your next step in faith, knowing that he's gonna meet you halfway. And all of the New Testament, you see this again and again and again. The Bible says, uh, you can Google it. The Bible says over and over again, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, you'll read it time and time again, when Jesus saw their faith. And how do you see faith? Well, you see faith in action. When Peter was on the boat, we talked about it last week, Jesus, uh, he, told, he said to Jesus, he said, Jesus, if that's you on the water, call to me and I'll come. And Jesus said, come. And what did Peter do? He got out of the boat. He took his next step. He didn't know how it was going to turn out. He didn't know how long he was going to walk on water. He just took his next step in faith because he knew that God can send the water. But sometimes you have to dig a ditch. You see, that's when you see faith. And I believe there are many times when God wants you and me to participate in his miracles. It's still his miracle, but he wants you to participate. He wants to see your faith in action. And there's a guy with a withered hand in the Old Testament. And what does Jesus say? He says, stretch out your hand. And when he stretches out his hand, in other words, Jesus is saying, I can heal you, but I want to see if you believe it. The man had a crippled hand. He had been living with a crippled hand like this. His hand hadn't been stretched out in forever. And Jesus says, let me see your faith. You want to be healed, stretch out your hand. And then the guy didn't say, well, Jesus, I can't do that. I've never, I haven't done that for years. Like, have you seen my hand? There's no raising my hand. There's no stretching it out. But Jesus said, stretch out your hand. And the man had enough faith that he stretched out his hand. And it was healed. Or there was the guy who couldn't walk for his entire life. And Jesus looks at him and he says these words. He says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. I'm going to heal you, but I'm not going to pick you up. You have to do it yourself. I want to see that you have the faith to believe that what I said is true. So get on up. And so the man that hadn't walked all of his life, laying on a mat, depending on other people to help him up, to sit him up, to do whatever, to get him from point A to point B. Jesus says, get up, take up your mat and walk. And the man had to have enough faith to push up off the ground and to stand on his own legs and pick up his mat and walk. Because here's the deal, only God, only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. And too many Too many of us are just waiting on God to send the water. But we're not willing to pick up our shovels and dig the ditch. We're not willing to show God any faith. We're like, God, help me, help me, help me, bless me, bless me, bless me, rescue, rescue, rescue me. And we're sitting on the couch and we're waiting for God to do something. And God's waiting on us to get up off the couch and meet him halfway. He's like, show me your faith. Put some action behind your faith. Put some some money where your mouth is and get up off the couch and meet me halfway. Like, for example, maybe you're here today and you want to quit smoking. Maybe you've been wanting to quit smoke for, smoking for a long time. Well, how about getting up and meeting God halfway, and as you leave here today, throw your cigarettes in the garbage on the way out and say, hey, there's some faith. I'm throwing my cigarettes away, and I'm getting rid of those things because I'm going to trust that God's going to meet me where I am. I have the faith to get rid of those things so that God can meet me where I'm at. Or maybe you want to heal a relationship that's gone bad. And maybe it begins with you forgiving someone even though they haven't asked you for forgiveness. You're like, I really want my relationship to heal. Woo! I really want my relationship to heal. I really do. But I'm waiting on them to ask me for forgiveness. Like I'm not going to move until they ask me for forgiveness. And God's like, listen, why don't you step up? Why don't you forgive them even though they haven't asked you for forgiveness? Or why don't you love them even though they are being ugly to you? Like why don't you do something? Why don't you put your faith into action? And you know what you do when you're what you're doing when you do that? You're digging ditches. You're digging ditches. And I know a lot of people like that. I know a lot of people that say this. They say, "Hey, I want my kids to serve Jesus. I want my kids to be strong Christians." But you know what they don't do? They don't bring their kids to church. They're like, I want my kids to be stand-up Christians, but then they don't bring their kids to church, and and they never read God's word together with them at home, and they never pray with their kids, but they want their kids to be strong Christians, and it's like, you want some water, and God's like, well, start digging a ditch. Like, start digging a ditch. Be a godly parent. Do something with your kids. Pray with them. Read God's word with them. Bring them to church with you. Sometimes you've got to dig a ditch only he can send the water but he wants you to dig a ditch the second principle is this and, it, and you might want to write this one down too is real faith believes big but is willing to start small real faith ridiculous faith believes big but is willing to start small real faith believes big and is willing to start small and there's too many christians that are thinking way too small there's too many Christians that are praying, God, I don't know if God could do that. Like, I don't think God could heal my, my father. I don't believe God, I don't think God could do this. I don't think God could restore my marriage. I don't think God could find me a job. And, and, and too many Christians are thinking small. We serve a huge God who can do exceedingly and abundantly more than all that we can ask, think, or imagine. And so I would say, maybe it's time to start thinking big. And we serve that big, that big of a God, and there are, there are those that, that do think big, on the opposite side, there are those that do think big, and yet at the same time, they're not willing to start small. Like that's me. Like I'm a big dreamer. I dream big, I think big, I dream big. I'm constantly dreaming about stuff and what God could do, and, and, and I think big, but oftentimes I'm not willing to start small. And people have to remind me, well, Rick, remember, Rome wasn't built in a day. Like it takes small steps sometimes. Sometimes it takes time. And so think about it. I mean, even think about how you dig a ditch. Back in the ninth century BC, uh, this is how you dug a ditch. You would take one shovel load at a time, right? Like they didn't have a trencher. You didn't call your neighbor and say, Hey, can I borrow the trencher? And they come and dig a ditch for you automatically. They did it to one shovel at a time. Small shovel at a time. And so sometimes when we think big, we have to start small. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10 says this great word. It's a great word. It says, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. You got a big dream? Well, start small. Like don't just say, oh, it's too big. God will never do it. Start small because here's what God loves Jeremiah, or Zechariah tells us that God loves to see the work begin in us. So sometimes you need to start small. And so some of you that have that big vision, where are you going to start? You're going to start small. You're going to start with what's in front of you. And you're going to be faithful with what God has given you. Remember last week, Elijah, he, he was faithful on the plow. He plowed every day for his parents on the farm. He started small, but God had big dreams. And Elijah had big dreams And he started small. Here's a real life story. Take Richard, for example. Not that Elijah's not real life. That was dumb. Uh, Here's a story, a a recent story was the word I was looking for. Um, Richard, he weighed 426 pounds. And the doctors told him, they said, hey, listen, Rich, if you don't lose some weight, you're never going to see your 40s. Like, if you don't lose some weight now in your early 30s, you'll never see your 40s. And so Richard decided to do something about it. He said, you know, the first thing I need to do is I need to get my spirit right. I need to get my soul right. He said, I need to start going to church. But he was nervous about even going to church because he was really self-conscious about his weight. Like, he didn't go a lot of places because he's afraid of what people would say. They would laugh at him. They'd call him fatty. Uh, they would look at him weird. And he was also even nervous about where he would sit in church. Like, he was a big man, so he'd have to take up a couple of chairs. And so he was worried about all this stuff. And so while he's sitting in the church parking lot, he's just praying. He's saying, God, give me the courage to do this. And, and he heard a voice. And he heard the voice in his car say, Richard, I can't, fix your in, I can't fix your outside until you let me fix your inside. And so Richard started small. He started small and he went into church. And as he walked into church, he experienced Jesus like he never experienced before. And he gave his life to Christ. And then God started to do the work on the inside. And then he tells a story. He went home. And after binge eating a whole box of cereal... He put in his first workout DVD and the DVD player, and he did his first workout. And one workout a week turned into two workouts a week, and two workouts a week turned into three workouts a week. And, and before you knew it, he was, uh, he was entering himself into a CrossFit competition. You know what the prize was? It was $100,000. And not only did he win the prize, but he got down to, check this out, 184 pounds in only 18 months. And he's a guy that made a big change. Like that's a big change from 400 and change uh, weight to down to 186 pounds or 84 pounds. But here's the deal. He had a big dream, but he started small. He was willing to start small. And now Richard travels around the United States helping people to realize that they too can do big things, but sometimes you just got to start small. And he talks to them about the love of Jesus and he talks to them about how Jesus impacted his life. And so here at Warehouse Church, I want you to know this. We think big. Everybody say that with me. We think big. We do. We think big around here. We see a church. We see a church filled with people so much that we will have to move into the big empty warehouse in a few years. That's our dream. That's what we see. But we we trust God and we start small. We start small because only God can send the water, but sometimes we have to dig ditches. Sometimes we got to put a shovel in our hands and do the work. And so here's the deal. So we start small. And here's how we start small. You might say, well, Pastor Rick, what does that look like? What does it look like digging ditches now so that we can move into the big warehouse later? Well, here's how it works. We start small by loving differently the 90% in our community that are far from God and inviting one person at a time, one person at a time to join the mission here at Warehouse Church. We think big but we start small. And some of you, it, it's as simple as picking up a shovel. Like some of us have been sitting on the couch. We've been sitting in our chairs. We've come to worship. We're like, man, we want to we move into that big warehouse. When are we going to move into the big warehouse? We'll move into the big warehouse when you pick up a shovel and start inviting people one person at a time to come and join the mission here at Warehouse Church. And so as the worship team come forward, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to think big, like I want to encourage you to dream big, but be willing, be willing to start small. God loves, listen, he loves when we participate in his miracles, when he sees our faith, because faith without works is dead. We got to dig some ditches. Let me share with you how the story ends in verse 20. Here's what it says. It says, Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered and suddenly water came by the way of Edom and the land was filled with water. Because the soldiers were willing to dig ditches, God came through and he gave them what he promised. The land was filled with water. You see, church, only God can send the water. But sometimes... Sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. And some of you have a significant need in your life. You have a huge need in your life right now. And you think if only God would meet that need, if only God would meet that need, if only God would answer my prayer. Don't ever forget, church. Don't ever forget that your biggest need can become your biggest blessing when it drives you to fully 100% depend on God. Because only God, only God can bring the water. But sometimes he wants you and he wants me to grab a shovel and start digging. Real faith, real ridiculous faith believes big, but it starts small and I pray often I pray often for a church full of people, full of people who will think big with me, but will start small, believing by faith that long before there's a cloud in the sky or any sign of water, they believe that if they'll just dig the ditch, God is big enough and God is faithful enough to send the water. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray, I pray that you would be built the faith in this church, both corporately and individually. Lord, I pray that we would be different, Lord. I pray that we would be different because we have a ridiculous faith, a faith that does big things step by step. Lord, there's people in here today that have some really big needs. You know what those needs are better than I do. Father, they're praying. Lord, they're asking that you would come and you would intervene, you would heal a relationship, you would provide a job. God, that you would, you would do a miracle in the life of someone they love. Lord, sometimes you call us to meet you halfway. Sometimes you call us to take some action because faith without works is dead. So Lord, I pray that you would show us what, it, what ditches we need to dig. Lord, what do we need to do? What's our next step? Where do we need to meet you halfway so that that need might be met? Father, there's a huge need in our community. 90% of the people, Lord, living in Floyd County are far from you. Lord, they have no relationship with you They don't care about you. You're not on their radar. They don't even think about you. Sunday comes and they're like, eh, just another day. There's a great need. and Father, my prayer is that you would show us where we need to dig the ditches so that we might see their lives transformed. Because Lord, you've called Warehouse Church to be a church that exists for the sole reason people experiencing life transformation through you and Lord you want us to partner with you you don't need us but you want us to partner with you to change our community and you're calling us to more than just prayer you're calling us to be invitational you're calling us to invest in the lives of those 90% calling us to pick up our shovels and start digging into the lives of people that need a relationship with you? Would we live a ridiculous kind of faith
1: and trust
0: that if we'll be the mouthpieces, if we'll do the inviting, that you'll do the life transformation? Father, help us to be a church that lives a ridiculous kind of faith. And Lord, if there's someone in here this morning that has never said yes to you, God, that they have no relationship with you at all. Father, maybe they're here in this and they want a relationship with you. They want that kind of faith. They recognize that they have lived their lives on their own without you. And now they need that relationship with you. If you're here this morning never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, can I just invite you to pray this prayer with me right now? Just just simple prayer, just pray this with me. Dear Jesus, I recognize I am lost. I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of saving. Jesus, would you come? I invite you to come and be the Lord of my life to lead me in a life of ridiculous faith. Lord, I recognize I got some huge needs, but the greatest need in my life is to have you as my Lord and Savior. Would you come right now, Lord, and be my Savior? If you prayed that this morning, I just am so thankful, Lord. God, I'm thankful for these people that said yes to you. God, I'm grateful that you're going to meet the needs of the rest of us. You're going to meet our greatest need. And our greatest need is going to become our greatest blessing. Because we're going to fully depend on you for the answer to that need. We love you, Lord. Thanks for loving us in the many ways that you do. Amen. Hey, we're going to stand up together as a church and we're going to sing our last song together. And I invite you, if you'd like to to come forward to these altars, you're welcome to come and pray and spend time with the Lord. Uh, they're always open for you. If you'd like someone to pray with you, just let me know. I'd be happy uh, to pray with you. Just tap me on my shoulder and I'll come and pray with you. But let's worship the Lord and let's, uh, let's ask him as we sing this last song, what ditches are you calling me to dig, Lord? Where do I need to be? To put my faith into action in my life. Let's sing together.